So last night, 8.43 p.m., <laughs> Brandy and I are watching The Great British Baking Show. And that's how we relax. We unwind for the evening. And I get a notification uh, that I've been tweeted. Uh, and Adam Linehouse has mentioned uh, that we should not retire the Stillwater you rule. You narc. To which Stillwater artisanal ales responds. You added them in your mentions? You can't do that, man. Not sure what the rule is, but think we dig it. (laughs) You do not dig it, Stillwater. You do not dig it at At all. At which point I was texted while we were watching (laughs) Detective D and the Rise of the Sea Dragon, which tells you how we live our lives. (laughs) And uh, I was like, oh my God, they found out the Stillwater rule. And then... Producer Ross and Sarah both burst out laughing, at which point I am crying laughing too hard. I have to leave the room. And by the time I get back, you message me. They deleted it. They deleted the tweet. You know why I think they deleted the tweet? Because if they looked at our profile, the first tweet they would see was good views, good brews, bad views, tweeting us. Congrats to our friends at the Mix 6 podcast for making it 50 episodes and doing a whole Stillwater episode and us responding, as a rule, we try not to learn from our mistakes. Stillwater, we're going to toast to you because we have retired the rule. You are better than average at this point, but man, we had a streak there. And uh, in many ways, I'm kind of glad you learned about it before. It went away forever. It, it would feel wrong otherwise. <laughs> to the Stillwater Rule. <laughs> to the Stillwater Rule. May you rest in peace. Hey, everybody. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is a mix six where we drink six beers, have six conversations occasionally mislead a brewery on Twitter <laughs> and rate them on a five-point scale. I wish they'd just lean into it. <laughs> yeah. Like, they could make a mixed six rule. <laughs> lean into, oh, yeah, this podcast says we make awful beer. Awful yeah. for half the time. I yeah. mean, from a social media perspective, we would have been best to start a feud. Like, But yeah. we're not like that. We just didn't like the beer. We're sure they're great people. We uh, didn't like some of the beer. We, we didn't like some of the beer, we even. Loved we loved some of the beer. We had, like, two fives in there. That's, That's hard to get. That's the thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, here we are. Sorry, Stillwater. Anyways, if you're listening to this, we really appreciate you, and we hope that you're listening to us near the holidays or for fun or because you've not listened to us before and this is your entree. And if that's true, I'm sorry for what you're about to sit through. We also have a Patreon. (laughs) We do have a Patreon where you can find even more from the Mix 6, including full episodes, short mini episodes where we talk about our takes on topical or semi-topical cultural issues, and we debate the merits of important prompts to resolve significant cultural disputes. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, today, we're going to have six conversations, we're going to drink six beers, and we're going to rate those beers on a five-point rating system as we do in all of our episodes. And this rating system, with slight modification, is brought to you by Kevin Ellis from Lords of the Storm. Yes. At this at this point, we've talked about Kevin enough. I mean, I think the only travesty here is that Kevin has not been on the mic with us. And it is a travesty. Because he had a kid, and he thinks oh, that's more important. God. The fuck, Kevin? La-dee-da. Ugh, I've known you for so long, man. Um, but anyways, Kevin... <laughs> way longer than that kid. Way longer than that kid has. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. All right. Um, here's the thing. After we did the um, Spider-Man video game items, yes. the, the, the modifications, mm-hmm. Kevin uh, messaged me and said, we should do a Diablo 2 unique items rating system, which is 
Totally great idea. Can't believe I haven't thought of it. Kind of mad about it, frankly, because Diablo 2 is, and I've said this before, perhaps the greatest game of all time, certainly top two. By the way, if you're a Russian spam or like cyber malware artist and you want Spencer to open that email and download attachment, right. you've just heard what needs to be in the subject. Line. Right. It is <laughs> right. catered to his mind. Just let completely. me know how to get a grandfather easily and we'll be in good shape here. <laughs> so anyways, uh, our rating system today on a five-point scale is based on unique items in Diablo 2 plus the expansion, courtesy of Kevin Ellis from Lords of the Storm. Number one. Wait, which Diablo did we play together for a brief moment? Diablo 3. Okay. Which was a really great retread of Diablo 2. Um, a lot of fun. Just it great was, once they removed the auction house. Yeah, the auction house ruined things, and it was too close to the eight ball to not feel like a bad reskin. Yeah, and also too far away from the eight ball to feel like a unique game that I wanted to explore the universe even further. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, just to say, I've not played Diablo two. I have absolutely no framework for this. Please don't excuse yourself from the backlash, sir, because I lean into all of the crap you. I say. mean, I typically, I typically would have to like debate you that's the bit of the pre-party in the rating system but i i cannot participate because i've not played the game okay whatever um <laughs> a one a terrible beer one that you would not like to see again or in this case a unique which drops for you and while you're excited to see that oddly brown gold writing you know when you see light belt you are unhappy because you're about to get a snake cord I know that it drops early game, but literally, other than the fight with, at the end of Act 2, nobody gives a fuck about poison resistance that much. Move on, game. You've ruined my excitement over drinking a beer, or in this case, finding a unique item. A 2 is the Diggler. Okay, you see the, the brownish gold writing of a unique pop-up? Diggler? Yeah, that's right. Like, because it's a dirk. Uh, oh. Yeah, a, oh. Hand, a hand weapon. Oh, okay. And to put it in Kevin's terms, yes, it's a unique item, but also you're now fighting with a butter knife, which is exactly how I feel about the Diggler or a two beer. Sure, it's a beer, <laughs> but it's not a good beer. Yeah. Now we're into three. This is the kind of like, this is what you expect of a unique item. And as we reach a three, I want to say that these are the express views of Spencer Harris and not the Mix 6 podcast or its other hosts. What just in the fuck, But hey, man? I, I'm just saying that I can't really debate you. Same I team. honestly don't remember enough about Diablo 2 <laughs> to comment one way or the other. I maybe played it was yesterday. Was Dirk Diggler a movie of some sort? It was the character in Boogie Nights. Oh, okay. Right. I thought it was the, the Rob... Whatever Harris. Rob the, Schneider? The, yeah, the male gigolo. Yeah. That was Deuce Bigelow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you're on a pop culture podcast, Caleb. Well, I mean, that's not really part of it Brains anymore. overflowing with Pikachu. Oh, my God. <laughs> they are fuzzy. A three. <laughs> Standard fare for unique items. It's the Stone of Jordan. Sure, you're happy to find one, but they were so common, so nondescript, that Doesn't at some point unique. they became an actual currency on Battle.net. That's well, how that was more because of duping. Sure. Yeah. But nonetheless, but, but that kind of ruined the value of yeah, it. You yeah. Know what yeah. I mean? would ruin the game. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Uh, in the same way that this beer is fine, mm -hmm. it's okay. There's a lot of it, but it's not going to make you feel special for having gotten one. It's what you expected to get because that's the thing that it does. I can't. I can't attest that drinking too many threes has crashed my economy before. <laughs> hey. <-o. laughs> yeah. A uh, number four. Um. Now we're getting into the good stuff. Uh, the grandfather. This is a quality item. Is it? it is it just a man? Just an old man following you around. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, kind stay a while and listen. <laughs> yes. That's a, it's just Deckard Cain kind of like <laughs> shepherding you along and occasionally being like latently racist. You know what I mean? Ugh. Yeah. I know. It's I really don't think scary. I've been listening right. to the Fox Crystal Ball. <laughs> Uh, the Grandfather is a quality item. It's incredibly good looking. It does a fuck ton of damage. Um, and it's really interesting 
but it is not the best item in the game. And this is where Kevin and I diverge a little bit. Kevin suggested Wind Force, which is a bow, and it will clear entire levels for you. The, the thing is, I don't care about Wind Force because I never played an Amazon. You played Barbarian. That's exactly right. So for me, the premise of Diablo 2 was how do you find more good shit? And the best way to find more good shit is to get a high magic find weapon, and that weapon is the Blade of Alibaba. You throw two topazes in that motherfucker, and you will find anything you want. I would argue that the Blade of Alibaba is the key to a wind force so a five the best beers that we drink hopefully today will be a blade of alibaba and with that we're going to grab some beer and on the other side we'll be back with dissecting our fun What are you drinking? We're back on the Six Mile Bridge bullshit. I, I think we kind of liked <laughs> some of this stuff a few weeks ago. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wow. call it bullshit. I, the would, cans, I, I wouldn't come in quite that hot. The cans are stunning. Cans are stunning. The yes. cans look like Stanley Kubrick movie posters. Yes, um, they I'm, are very minimalist. I am all in on this. A lot this, of abstract shapes. This is the Blood Orange Wit. It's a Belgian-style ale with coriander and orange. And uh, blood orange, presumably. Well, one would think. Well, at and least for, I hope it's not regular orange, because then where did the blood come from? Right. And for the first time, we'll be trying this on the bond burner rule. Yes, the I'm bond gonna burner fuck rule. that up. We're gonna. We, yeah, we have sort of trained ourselves for two years, but it helps that I was uh, very publicly shamed and saddened on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's making a he's making a mouth movement that is yeah. not. No, that's a three. Comforting. That's oh, a three. It's yeah. a Stone of Jordan. It's right. fine. Let me there's, try that. Yeah, there's there's um definitely wit on the front end, and then you get a little bit of the orange, and then it gets overly tangy, like almost like tang, too much tangy on it's, the it's back a little end. Too much carbonated for me. Yes, it dries up really quickly. <clears throat> yeah, it dries up. It has a um, champagne like quality. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not wild about that. The flavor is good. Right. It should be able to last a little longer. I totally agree. I totally agree. Therefore, three. I think mm. it's it's okay. There are things about it I like. I'd drink it if I had to. Um, not great. Anyways, we're into dissecting our fun. Um, Keftu. Oh, we're here again. We're here we, again. We did this the last time. Lex has has already, like, Lex Regina has already fixed us on this, and we screwed it up. Yeah. But... Um, We've already forgotten what you said, But we're not good at this. But just know that, that this has been fixed on our Facebook page. Yeah. Suggests in dissecting our fun... The plausibility and future of board games in an increasingly online future. I'm a diehard tabletop RPG fan and have been for over a decade now, but have never explored board games because my groups have been overwhelmingly online. Part of a general millennial social structure I see only growing greater is the point of board games, the deliberately analog experience. See also, how often do you refer to tactile satisfaction in a review? Or can the itch be scratched with digital versions? Caleb. I do not have a nuanced take on this. Yes, the analogness is the point in many ways. Um, I have played a lot of online versions of tabletop. Um, they are fun as like individual distractions. So Gone Show and Clever is fun as like an individual puzzle to keep mm-hmm. myself occupied on my really cell phone. Um, but here's the thing. I find Gone Show and Clever in person would be a nightmare a nightmare like just math like i need a machine doing that for me uh to a certain point um whereas i've done um versions of the terraforming mars platform online mm. non-pulse didn't care really for it. not wild about it not but if you want to play terraforming mars 
in person, yeah. I, I am there. I will put a Caleb-shaped hole in your wall as I burst through to say, let's play some Terraforming Mars. Um, so I think the analog is the point, and I also think that's the niche. I don't think they're doomed in an increasingly atomized online culture. I think that's how they sell themselves. This oh, is how totally you get agree. together with human beings in a physical space. I totally agree. And uh, have a structured interaction that's not pure awkwardness and leave feeling better for having interacted with your fellow man. Totally agree. Um, that's that's really the entire like impetus of like why we talk about it in every episode mm-hmm. and, and why I've bought too many of them. Too many. I, I, I yearn for that experience so much and get it so little that like my retail therapy is buying a game that I hope to play one day. Yeah. It's literally just making an appointment with hypothetical humans that I could play this game with because you know, this thus is the nature of modernity. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. I um I have found that there are some apps which are good substitutes for the ability to play the board game with people, but that is a comparison to the analog experience of playing the board game. I evaluate the app on does this or does this not make up for the fact that I can't actually play this game in an analog circumstance right now. And if it feels okay as a substitute, then it's a good application. But I have very little interest in playing the game outside of that. I have a number of apps on my phone, Small World, um, Jaipur, a number of board games on my phone that I do not play, Settlers, that I don't play on my phone. Because the 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 game in and of itself is an iteration of meh. It, it's a million different things that I could be playing. I do it because I enjoy the interaction. And I think there's something to that that is positive. I think there's something to that that is negative. On the one hand, the interaction, which for me is kind of the motivating feature. Sometimes that's too much. Um, sometimes I'm done interacting with people, and so I don't want to play board games, even though I think the game is in and of itself an interesting mental exercise or a, a fun break from my day. But if I don't have the energy to to put into the interaction that I'm not going to play. So that's kind of the downside of that. The upside of that is I really enjoy talking to people about board games. Yeah. Um, and, and not just during the game, but I think an underrepresented element of this question, or maybe not, maybe just not one that's explicitly um, articulated. I often enjoy talking about a game as much during the game as I do uh, enjoy talking about the game after the game. Yeah. So what could you have done differently when there's some debate, there's some discussion about, well, had I tried this, can you imagine what that would have done? That sort of designer mindset is useful for enjoying a game, whether you're going to design a game or not. Yeah. The the post-talk, not even just about the game design, but about moves or strategies. You don't even have to design a game as great as Party Fell. The the game game of of Drunk drunk Ducks. Um, but like after that was unrehearsed, by the way. Yeah, yeah totally. That was <laughs> that was off the fucking cuff. Um, you know, like after a game of scythe, it's interesting to be like, oh man, I had two turns left, and if I could have done this, I could have done that. Yeah, yeah. And then for somebody else to go, well, yeah, but had you done this, I'd have done that. I mean, I enjoy the post as much as I enjoy the during mm-hmm. occasionally on board games. And again, I think that's unique to the analog experience. Go ahead, Russ. Oh well, it's also house ruling too. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, going back all the way to the old days with Monopoly, where right. that was the only way to make it playable. Yeah. Um. So house ruling, like, you can't really do that with Tabletop Simulator, right? Uh, or at least very easily. Uh. And there's also yeah, but I think that's a major thing. Yeah. We house rule the robber in Catan because yeah. you know after more than three or four of those robbers showing up, the game's just not fun anymore. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um. 
but you're right. I mean, in the in the application version, mm-hmm. it's like, motherfucker, another seven, you know? And it's kind of ruined the fun. So yeah, house rules aren't even a component that I thought of. And so I'm so hard on this bit that like I, I find myself having trouble engaging with the tabletop community in some space. So like while I've had enjoyable online games, I never leave it satisfied. Like I'm never like angry or like dissatisfied or not having fun during the game. But I never leave the game feeling I have played. And right. it's because like that RPG space is about being together right. at a table off your phone yeah. in an analog space. And that's what I enjoy. And that the sort of mitigation factor of that online is not fun. Now, here's what I will say. There is um, a difference in getting people bought in. So while I think that online play is wonderful for the RPG space precisely because it is difficult to convert someone in being an RPG player. Like mm-hmm. the person that is like, here's a 500 page book, go learn how to play is so narrow in our society. You're not going to get conversion. And the fact that you can meet up with those people and talk about things and meet online is like one of the most edifying experiences of my life. So like, yes, if I'm going to play an RPG, I would prefer to do it at a table anytime, but I very much understand the utility of playing um, an RPG online because yeah, you're not going to get a great conversion number on that. Yeah. I get that that seems like it could translate into the board game space, yeah. but I can tell you as a person who is not terribly persuasive and definitely not very likable that you can convert you can convert people into board gamers at an astonishingly larger number yeah. than you can convert people into being role-playing game players. Oh, yeah. And, like, the thing is, if you don't have a group to play board games with right now, seek to create one. Yeah. Um, and it it might be the work of, like, two or three months, but you can do it, and, and you can do it with reasonably high numbers. Like, And once you've converted a group of people who want to play board games... Then you can all level up your board gaming together because I know that's the case. Like, oh yeah, uh, I'd played nothing but like the terrible board games. Absolutely hated them until I got to um, Arkham Horror with you, producer Ross. And then I was still very intrigued because it did things I didn't do. But then there were also parts of it that I didn't like, and I didn't know why I like didn't like. Um, until I started leveling up and we started playing more. Right. And then even as we get to play now, we're just like, hey, you want to play this game about Franciscan monks mm-hmm. making beer? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. I really and do. And it's because we're so high. We're we're moving through the levels of board gamer that like right. we need more to get our fix. And like, so you can, I don't know that you can build a group of RPG players out of nowhere. Like, and I see a lot of people doing that with D and D online, especially with Twitter. It is blowing up and the hobby is expanding and you have no idea how excited I am for that. But I do feel there is a limit to that evangelicalism. There are people who are just never going to be into it. Totally agree. I'm not sure that's the case for board game. I think there's people who are never going to be into a certain type of board game, but I think most people who hate board games, um, other than people who just need to be more active and can't stand the sitting at the table part, you can convert them to a wide variety of the game and you can build a board gaming group. Yeah. So the digital space, while I appreciate it's there, it's not like I want apps to go away or to replace board games or anything like that. I appreciate it's there. I do feel like it is fundamentally missing the point it can have. Yeah, totally like, agree. And I, I don't feel like that's the case for RPGs because it is a supplement for something that just might not be there in your community. Yep. But you can make board you can make more board gamers. I've done it multiple times. times. Right. Yeah, like we we both talked about the importance of teaching games. Yeah. And we both acknowledge that when we teach games, the game is the goal is not to play the game. The right. goal is to can make a new board game. That's exactly like, right. Yeah. yeah. Generate interest. Yeah. yeah. Uh so 
that's the other thing I think with this whole analog digital thing. I think the digital thing is sort of <laughs> punting on an issue you don't need to give up the fight on. Right. Totally agree. Especially because applications to board games often translate in a really one to one way occasionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominion kind of being the case in point, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Dominion at a table and Dominion on an application, they're pretty close, which is why if you've learned to play Dominion in an analog space, it feels really nice to pick up the Dominion application. But if you learn Dominion through the application, you can sit down and play Dominion with people at a table. Yeah. Um, and that's I think that's a nice translation for people who are and, interested and in And unless strategy. someone at that table's a dick, I cannot imagine how doing at the table would be worse right, than right. doing it on the application. Yeah, yeah. Side note, don't hang out with dicks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Stand baseline advice Bingo. for everything. Hey, on that note, we're going to grab another beer. Thanks so much for the question. On the other side, we'll be into your number one vote-getter for this week. This was a mistake. Caleb, what are you drinking? I am going to drink from Second Shift Brewing in St. Louis, the Hibiscus Wit, which is a Belgian-style wit beer brewed with spices. That's a concerningly vague thing. Concerningly vague. Yeah. Like, I the mean, spice of Arrakis. Right. It, it could mean, be worse if it was like brewed with things. Like, that would be... Spices are things. That'd be alarming. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, at the, least they're spices. The synthet- synthetic marijuana is sometimes... Sometimes called spice. That's right, and that's actually not even close to marijuana. Is it's it? Really, yeah, yeah. It, I, it, it's really bad for you. you I should. poured some in a glass, and I don't care for the scent. Yeah, maybe it is made with spice. Oh, Caleb's face doesn't care for. Can the you scent see through either. time? Can that, you navigate interdimensional things? Definitely and, a frown on the face. You no, have psychic no, powers. I'm definitely a Baron Harkonnen. We all we've established that. <laughs> uh, I am not uh, a traveler. Uh, so. It's a three. It's drinkable. I think there's something on the back end that makes it a low three for me, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a three. It's not objectionable. Um, it's it's hibiscus in the way that I wasn't wild about the first um, the first printing of blush from Mothers. Oh, but yeah. mm-hmm. I was absolutely fucking obsessed with blush in its second run. Um, there's sort of a weird flowery aftertaste in the back of the throat that I don't care for. Um, but it's not nearly so bad as many other things I've had. Like it's drinkable, it's light on the tongue, it's not overly bubbly. I'd, I'd give it a three. I, I disagree. I do not like that beer. That's a two for me. That's a two. Just, it's all. See, that's what I'm debating. Right. Like, is it a two for me? Here's the thing. All of the things you've said are generally true. It's a high two. I've had worse twos. Right. It's light on the tongue. Uh, it's it does what it says on the tan. All that stuff. The problem is, I just don't like the flavor. Like. I just don't care for how it tastes. You I think talked me into it. It's a two. Bingo. I, wow. I was on the ed- I was teetering on the edge. I didn't need the push. Caleb remembered that fear is the mind killer. That's exactly right. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, we're in we this, this podcast we, needed more Dune references. We we we, we were too we were too accessible. Yeah. I didn't have to get that box, you put your hand in and it's pain. There he is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so if there are any non-nerds left, uh, congratulations. Jesuit whore. You've made it. Hey, we're into This Was a Mistake, which was your number one vote-getter, and Cassidy suggests it's that time of year to start thinking about decorating for Christmas. Where's the line between festive and tacky? Is it right at giant light-up inflatables? Is it the festive tacky line? Is the festive tacky line different places for different holidays, i.e., or excuse me, e.g., Halloween? I'm going to be honest with you. Christmas is maybe the one place where there's no line for me. Oh, hard disagree. Hard exception. The the one carve out here, 
the one carve out is that there is such a thing as too many nativity scenes. <laughs> what about uh, comedic and parody ones? Uh, right. maybe wait, not. Wait, within a singular household. So my bi- like, my biological father. Yeah. Tell, uh, me, tell me more. Uh, I visited him around the holidays in Nashville some years ago, and he had forty seven nativity nativity scenes <laughs> in his home. I know this because I helped him put every one of them away. In well, the that's attic. that's too that's too much. That's too many. Two two Jesuses or Jesai, as is the plural, Jesai is an excessive number of Jesai. Forty seven Jesus. There's just supposed to be the one. Yeah. No. Well. No. No. Well, you can make an argument for three. It is a holy trinity. <laughs> you couldn't make an argument for forty seven though, <laughs> no, because yeah. it's not a holy forty seven. <laughs> pretty sure that's how it works. Uh, so that that kind of crossed a line for me, but forty seven of anything crosses a line for me. I think. Uh, other than that. On Christmas, you fucking do you. Uh, don't start Christmas music I mean, too early. I'm the exact reverse for this. When is too early? Uh, you can start it after Thanksgiving. Wow, that's pretty late these days. Yeah, it is. No, 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 no. Definitely anything before Thanksgiving is you're ruining it. And that's not a, that's too much Christmas music as much as it is. I really love Christmas music, but if you start playing it in November, I'm tired of it by the time Christmas rolls around. At November 20, whatever, after Thanksgiving, yeah, that's a solid like three, four weeks of Christmas music, and there's enough joy in there for me, but it's not excessive joy. After that, you do you. You want to put lights all over everything? Put lights all over all over no. everything. Brandy's no. been putting fake snow on shit in the house. Okay, cool. Fake snow everywhere. Uh, you want to wear ugly Christmas sweaters all the time. Do that too. You got some like classic Christmas shit you want to do? Great. You got some tacky Christmas shit you want to do? Throw it up there. I am in for Christmas decorations. Okay. I'm in for any amount of Christmas decorations you want to do inside the home. That's great. Outside the home, that Clark Griswold, Griswold shit, shit yeah. you are trying to make up for an emptiness at your the core of your soul. Um, wow. Look, I, I, I'm, not, I'm saying it. I, I, I picked this question precisely because uh, is it different for other Halloweens? Yes, it's different for other holidays. Halloween, if you go all out and you're like a fucking scary mansion now, you're a saint. You're a community staple. You, you deserve a fucking medal. Because why did you go all out for Halloween? What do you gain from it? No one's like, oh, man, they always have the best Halloween decorations. No one's ever said that in their entire life. It is by no means something you earn your social distinction on. Who is psyched that your house looks like a haunted house and is covering cobwebs? It's got a scary mechanical spider. Well, you would kids, Kids. Kids are excited about that to come by, and you want them to come by in a community-growing activity that is trick-or-treating. That is fucking awesome. You decorate like with crazy inflatables and you have like your man out there putting lights all over your fucking grout work and your crown molding and your goddamn gutters and like you you that is some bougie status like fucking like oh disgusting con- conspicuous consumption shit i hate it now i'm not saying you can't put any lights out but you did it yourself. You wanted your house to look festive. Go for it. But there is a level past like you're trying to get on a fucking postcard or something where it's just no, like give it up. Disgusting. You've lit it up big. So I know who to put in the guillotine first. Like it's <laughs> fucking disgusting why you would do that. Cause it's not about you. It's not about giving anymore. It's not about charity. It's not about Christmas. It's not even about Santa. You think Santa can't see you unless you light it up like a fucking airstrip. Like it's ridiculous. Like, so yes, in the house, whatever makes you happy, go nuts outside. Yes. Make a very festive Christmas decoration, but past that, no one's driving around their parents to look at Christmas lights and thrilled as a child. You're not doing a service to the community. Bullshit. 
Oh fuck you! They're, you your parents drove you around <laughs> to go look at Christmas lights. Other than the fact that you were too poor to go do something like it was boring as shit. No, I fucking loved it. I fucking loved oh, going around. Oh god, you're a dweeb. Lights. I fucking loved it. Such a dweeb. We still, Brandy and I, still drive around and try to find good looking. As Christmas an adult lights. with your lowered expectations, as a kid, you should want to do cooler things than wait, that. What's, wait, what's, wait. What about those houses where the lights are all set up and there's like a computer controlling it and it's synchronized to music that Fucking they play? Fucking love it. Trans-Siberian Trans- Orchestra or something like love that? Love it. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I like, I you like, like that? I Look, I knew that when we started talking about Christmas. What if a computer spat holiday cheer at me? Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I'm not convinced... <laughs> I'm not convinced there's not an actual orchestra. I'm, I'm convinced it's like some sort of fucking AI experiment. Like that's what you get. That's horse ebooks. If it was a band, like it's disgusting. I knew. Fuck off with that. That when we started talking about Christmas, you there there was a 20 second gap where this was not going to be a Marxist thing for you, and we got it. It was fun. I, so I knew conspicuous consumption was coming. I didn't think it was on number of lights adorning your house. house. I mean, my God, not number of. And here's the thing, I. I'm very against the too much. I couldn't tell you where the level's at, but I know it when I see what, it. What if it's synchronized to Dragon Force instead of Transmit? What? What house? What hypothetical fucking house are you talking I mean, about? It's probably on YouTube. Get out of here with your obstructionist nonsense. <laughs> Dragon Force house. I I couldn't disagree with you more. Uh, we had a house in my neighborhood that we referred to as the Griswolds, and I waited anxiously for them to disrupt the city's power grid. <laughs> Every Christmas. The house hummed. You could pull up to it and turn your car off and hear the home. And I thought it was hysterical. It was fun for me that they did that. They were giving something which was insanity, excess, I don't know, conspicuous consumption, call it what you want. Cassidy, go nuts. Marx's pro tip, if you want to make uh, one of the people not think you're a bougie piece of shit, don't use the verb disrupt. (laughs) Okay, maybe. Yeah. All right. We're reinventing Christmas here. It, it's it's a it's a little Silicon Valley. I'll I'll give you that. Yeah. Um still though, I hard go nuts here. Um not too many nativity scenes. Don't start playing Christmas music too early. And on that note, we'll be right back with Axe Mix Six, where we also have a fire set. The brightest house is the clearest target. <laughs> Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is the Golden Road Brewing's Pineapple Cart, a pineapple wheat ale with blood orange and strawberry, which is my second blood orange of the show. Mm-hmm. We'll see if this one's better. He's very colorful can. Stands yeah, off a, on the it's shelf. It's a nice little party scene like on a beach. Yeah. I like how bright yeah. some, it is. Some pastel limes on yeah. there. Like, I hope that isn't saturated. a summer beer. I, yeah. hope, I hope it was brewed recently. Like. You know, that it's not been sitting on a shelf for months. Well, I months. definitely didn't check, so. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it stylizes like a summer beer. Yes. Not as a winter beer. Um, It's a little too much strawberry for me, if I'm being honest. Hold on, I'm going to go back again. You're not a huge strawberry fan? I mean, mm. okay. Take that as a, eh. If it's not a Pop-Tart, chances are I don't want it in strawberry. Wow. Usually on strawberries. I think it's probably a three for me. Um, that's that's how I would code that. Um, I think that's I'm all about strawberry. Let me get it. Of, oh, you're gonna like that. It's light. It's crisp. Definitely some strawberry. Mostly strawberry in there. I don't really get pineapple as the problem or blood orange. I I, I get cold, crisp mm. strawberry. Thoughts? Wow, it smells better than it tastes. Yes, yeah. it's still the three. I yeah. agree with you there, but like. 
you smell it smells of pineapple right but you it's don't got, get it's any. got a sharp acidity um i don't even get the strawberry very much well see that's all i'm getting right now yeah yeah, yeah. so mm. what are you getting caleb then um i it's cool and crisp okay there's there's a lot of that yeah it's very much like a like a uh, like some sort of a pineapple like cocktail, or- orange Julius, uh, like okay, a, yeah. like a very uh, acidic, uh, orangey, pineapple-y scent. Mm-hmm. I don't catch any of the strawberry on the taste. Though. It's not offensive to the taste bud, no. but like I don't. It's not as sharp. I, ex- I the nose makes you expect something so much sweeter. Totally than you agree. Get. Totally agree. It could it's also not be bad, that I ate a, a three. club cracker before this. Though. No, it wasn't. I did not. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah so. All right. Hey, we're into a fire sale. Last time we did this, um, I made ridiculous noises to indicate who was going to ask the questions. And to be clear, it absolutely worked. It absolutely worked. So the question is, do we want to try that method again? Most certainly. Okay. So uh, this time, when I point at you and go, boing, you ask. <laughs> and when I point at me and I go, wham, I'll ask. <laughs> okay. All right. You ready? Yeah. Wham. That means I'm asking. <laughs> Uh, from Kef to you, again, we screwed this up. At the risk of straying into drunk enough territory, how do you draw the line on when to stop consuming a work based on a problematic creator? And possibly the more thorny question, where is the line on reaching out to others about the same? And there, there's a there's a lengthy paragraph under that, which is good stuff. Yeah. Uh, but for the sake of argument, where where's the line for you there? Well, we've already done when do we cut it off for a problematic creator. That was right. one of our first drunk enoughs. Yep. But I, it is sort of interesting to talk about where's the line on reaching out to others of the same? Yeah, totally agree. Um, um, I would sort of draw it at like, okay, are they enjoying it and that's it? Or is there enjoying it and somehow problematic and causing a deeper problem? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I know that is a hard, not terribly useful, but like, is them enjoying it indicative of some like a deeper ideology or mindset that is going to ruin the fun of everyone around them anyway yeah. by enjoying this thing? Or am I just ruining their enjoyment of this thing and there are no other repercussions to them enjoying it? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of where I draw the line. Yeah. Like, is, is this, is like, I love this terrible thing and then I'm going to make everyone else love it and ruin their lives by promoting it. And like, well, then maybe step in and be like, here's why I find that problematic as your friend. But if it's like, I like this thing, and there's some stuff about it I'm not wild about, and you're not evangelical about it, and nobody else is getting hurt, I'm like, all right, well, maybe if we get drunk enough, I'll, I'll say that, but enjoy it as you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. seems reasonable. Um, boing. Uh, E.G. Cologne asks, uh, scenario, you've been kidnapped by right-wing terrorists that are being held against your will. The why is not important for the scenario. If you need one, it's because they think you're influencing children to become a Randian communist feminist alcoholic bigot. Well, three out of five ain't bad. While holding you, some of your captors with their infinite mental capacity become bored and want you to run a game for them to pass the time. What game and or games would you run for these chinless folk? How would you use their misplaced trust in you to escape? And most importantly, what would you what would the title of the book you'd write about the experience be called? Uh, I see your bet, and I raise you. I'd teach them Twilight Imperium, <laughs> and they would ask me to leave the room. The book would be called Twilight Imperiled, How I Escaped. <laughs> now on Lifetime, isn't it? I was just going to suggest Diplomacy with basically the same answer, <laughs> but Diplomacy runs faster than Twilight Imperium, exactly. and I want to escape faster. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wham! Scott Henderson asks, <laughs> Caleb Mitch mentioned reading Bluebeard's Bride on an earlier podcast. Please discuss the unique concept of Bluebeard's Bride RPG and your thoughts on it. Uh, I quite like Bluebeard's Bride. Um, I think it is the, uh, everyone is John, 
of RPGs, but run through a intense sociopolitical lens that is very helpful. And I also love its attachment to one of the more obscure uh, of Grimm's fairy tales. So I, I, I view it as everyone is John that takes itself seriously. Um, yeah, and, you're the bride. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you are all the bride. Um, and it has a lovely use for psychological horror in addition. So yeah. nice. Uh, we're going to skip questions now because the next question is not for me. The question after that is specifically for me. So you're going to read me Cassidy's question. Got now, it. And then I'll give you Adam's. You're going to read me Cassidy's question when I go. Boy, 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 boy. All right. Cassidy asks, Spencer, do you hate Rice Krispie Treats as much as you hate s'mores? And then they outline a number of reasons you should. Yeah. Um. Not as much. No. I I really like the flavor of a Rice Krispie Treat treat quite a bit in and of itself. Here, here's what I'll tell you. I prefer a packaged Rice Krispie Treat because then I can open the package and then use the package as a glove to eat the Rice Krispie Treat. Oh, yeah, that would be appealing to you, wouldn't That's exactly it? Right. You just need sort of like a prophylactic to That's exactly get right. at the sticky. That's Again, ex- we did condom. Microphone condom. Yeah. Yeah. It, it solves the primary problem and gets me the delicious flavor of the Rice Krispie Treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, wham! Adam asks, what are your thoughts on the semi-resurgence of Stoic philosophy? Uh, I'm really for it. If you've never read The Guide to a Good Life, I, I suggest it. Uh, it is very much uh, what if Marcus Aurelius wrote a self-help book, um, and it is you know what is useful in this. Uh, and I, I like the idea of Stoic philosophy because it is a, it is ultimately a practical philosophy, and that's what philosophy was originally meant to do. Uh, but now we just talk about what's going to happen when AI comes around. But mm-hmm. Stoic philosophy, you can do that right that now. That might be practical. It might be. Let's <laughs> hope not. Um, and yeah, it, it's basically just, yeah. What can you do right now to uh, adjust your perspective on life? Yeah. Um, boing. Uh, Sebastian Lindbergh asks, strange question. What is the pros and cons to having a constitutional monarchy as opposed to having a president or the like as a head of state or a nation? Uh, pros? It seems like pretty good fashion sense. Uh, the the dress of the time seems to be uniquely defined, and it would make for interesting fodder. Uh, it also seems like consistency in governance. Cons, most monarchies are shit. Uh, so I feel like that probably covers Constitutional it. monarchy, though. So I think the pro of the constitutional monarchy <laughs> is you can do what the UK has done and sort of neuter the monarch as an executive and just keep them as pets. Yeah, um, super rich pets that yeah, own a lot I'm, of land. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, still pets with no ability to do any legislation, <laughs> which uh, at this point I would take. I would love for Trump to retire to a farm somewhere where he can run around and be free. Uh, like You mean a golf course. Jared could be there. Um, they could play fetch. They could be so happy together, fr- frolicking through the field. That, that's like the best possible not scenario much at this point. It's true. He uh, not, he's not great for Wham! That. Chris Oshita asks, when voting, what are the major factors that influence your decisions? As an example, consider a measure where sick orphans get funding for medicine, but a Montgomery Burns figure gets a kickback. In this scenario, the orphans are not, are not getting medicine from any other source. Uh, what ideologies, philosophies, or other factors play into your decision-making process? Uh, voting is inherently an ethical dilemma before you get to this ethical dilemma. Uh, lesser evil voting, and I'm sorry, I'm too much of a utilitarian and, and to go with the absolute revolutionary aspect of let those orphans die so Montgomery Burns starves and we burn his house down. Uh, I would very much like Montgomery Burns to starve and have his house burned down, but I'm not going to say the orphans get to die. So if you believe in voting at all, you believe in lesser evil voting because you live in a limited party system in most instances. And as such, you got to make a decision based on the real, not the ideological absolute. 
Bingo. Boyoing. Copper asks, how does your capacity as writers impact how you consume media? How do you interact with the notion that you could produce something of quality similar to much of that is super popular? Uh, not a writer, the only non-writer at this table, so this is really easy to answer. Um, I will tell you as someone who wants to be a writer, it is the thing which stops me from writing the thing I think about wanting to write all of the time. I often think, oh, that's an interesting idea, and then I, I think about sitting down to write it, and then I immediately think about how no one will care about it, and then I immediately move on to something else. Well, we just haven't converted you into being a hack yet, Spencer. One day we'll get there, and here's what I will say from the other side of that. There is nothing more liberating than seeing a popular piece of fiction or media that is absolute dog shit. Because, boy, howdy, do you then have license to go write your dog shit down. And that's how you will still be better. Yeah, yours will still be better. It probably won't even be as popular. But you know what? Now you have no excuse not to do it because some terrible shit got on TV anyway or got into a movie theater, got published by a major publisher. So there's nothing more liberating than a really bad piece of media as a writer. And uh-huh. that's how you should look yeah, at it. Yeah, that's an interesting interesting point. Wham! Friedrich asks, if I send you traditional hard liquor from Iceland that is more or less just the Icelandic version of Malort, will it be consumed on air or should yes. I just find something else to send? Yes, but... Didn't we already have some at Gen Con? No, that was the uh, that was a different part of Scandinavia. That yeah, was, yeah, that was different. Danish stuff. or yeah. Swedish? It was Danish. All right. Well, we also had yeah. some terrible Scandinavian liquors. So, yeah. yeah, we'll drink it. Is it made from a fermented shark? My question <laughs> is: Is there a Patreon level where we do a whole do episode on Icelandic malort? No, you don't. You don't want that. Oh. Are there five types? Like, I mean, I, I, I mean, there, there. It's Iceland. They ferment every part of a fish. <laughs> There's no part of a fish they won't bury in the ground and let rot further to become some new arcane dark substance. <laughs> Um, Seems right. You don't. You don't want to risk that. I'm just saying. Next question, boyoing. Uh, was that? Oh, that was for uh, Matt from Kurzakstan. Uh, ask what? What's one topic you've always wanted to talk about more, but never get the chance to? I'd like to talk about the Arrowverse. No, I'm fucking kidding. That was like the first year of this podcast. Um, I've actually. I would like. I would like to talk about the nature of prediction more. I find it still to this day to be infinitely fascinating. Um, what it means to predict things, why we believe predictions. Like futurism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a really good blog I, I occasionally look at, Paleo Future, which looks at past predictions of the future, mm-hmm. especially technological ones. Yeah. And like, holy shit, they have some ideas about what it would be like right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was Some of the stuff that always interested me the most about Kurzweil's bit was mm-hmm. his, well, 27 years ago, I predicted this, and now it's true. Like, I'm, I'm just interested in how we use that mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a discourse. And last question, wham, Ethan Cordray asks, what do you think about Christmas decorations? Do you do them? If so, when do you put them up? What exactly do you do? And what tips do you have to ease the process for those of us who are short, lazy, and or seasonally depressed? And a nice follow-up to our previous question, Caleb. Um, it would not surprise you all that I was a bit of a Grinch. Uh, I, I'm not as wild in a Christmas as many people are. Um, that said, Sarah is absolutely wonderful and very into Christmas, and she does a lot of the decorating around her house and has bought a lot of the Christmas decorations. And I do find that it's festive and nice because I like spending the holidays with Sarah. Bingo. Uh, and my family. So, uh, yeah, go for it. Um, and if you're not into it, don't worry about it. It doesn't make you a bad person. You're just not that into it. That's so. right. End of fire sale. We'll be back with a mix six mock draft in just one second.
Caleb, what is that beer? It's from Founders Brewing, and it is, is it a Rubeus? Rubeus. Rubeus. I can't believe we haven't done this. Yeah. Uh, it's Rubeus's Pure Raspberry Ale. I like some raspberry. I Rubeus is like, th- that was a go-to for me at bars for a while. I that's I was surprised when I pulled that out and thought, we've not I've done I've never this. seen this on tap. Oh, my God. Mm. Four and Seven Tap House has this on tap mm. on the reg. That's a drinkable beer. That's a drinkable beer. I'd li- I-, I always thought I'd like it to be a little more tart than sweet. I would like some more tartness. I'm going to give it a grandfather. Yeah, it's going to be a four. Right. That's a four. Yeah. yeah. Nope. That's, it's very tasty. It's a tart raspberry ale. Not quite as tart as I want it to be, That's right. considering our predilection for sours on this show. But you can easily give up that energy to personal choice. It is a, a well-brewed beer. The yeah. drinkable. Yeah. Hey, we're into the Mix 6 Mock Draft, which was tied for your number one vote-getter, and Alex C. suggests you're robbing a bank, and you need to put together a crack team, picking only from cereal mascots. Put together a team consisting of at least a driver, a safe cracker, and some muscle, maybe a mastermind too. We've already done bank heists with literary greats, so we're going to alter this a bit and do a close relative of the heist genre. We're going to do crack commando team. The dirty half dozen. <laughs> Of cereal mascots. Here's the thing. All right. I wrote this so long ago, I don't remember what I picked. Ditto. So let's see let's start at the how top. quickly I can come up with one. Well, we got to roll for who goes first, right? Uh, do we have dice? Got some dice. Do we have dice? You got some dice. Nearby? What, what sided dice do you Any, want? The first one you grab. 11. I'm not going to choose for you. Choose for yourself. Wow. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Caleb rolled a four on a D6. I rolled a five on a D6. Ah, you son of a I bitch. will go... Uh, I'll go first. All right. Get in there. Um, so we chose a variety of categories. Let me quickly outline for you the categories that we chose. So first was a team lead. Second was an explosives guy. Third was a spy. Fourth was a ninja. And then fifth was, what was fifth? Heavy weapons guy? Uh, sniper. Sniper. Oh, Sna- sniper. Yeah, sniper. Super, okay. super sneaky pick. So what's the difference between the spy and the ninja? Ninja's the guy who's really into knives, even though you're all <laughs> using guns. There's one in every team. Sure. It's the Jet Li and Expendables archetype. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So for- and is the spy the sexy spy who in a, a you know, poses as a civilian or something? Yeah, more of a face yeah. Okay. character. Yeah. Yeah. All, right. all right. So for my ninja, I've chosen Count Chocula. Mm. Never know what that motherfucker's going to do. What's <laughs> hiding up under that cape? <laughs> really and knives. when shit gets bad, his, turns into a bat. His, his fucking teeth are knives. Yep. <laughs> his teeth are knives. He's just flying around like, bam, bite, bam, bite, drain your blood, bite, and now you're dead. So right, my right, spy right. was Count Chocula. Excuse Frank me, my Miller ninja was Chocula. Count Chocula. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're up. All right. Uh, I'm going to go for my ninja, the cookie crook. Ooh. Uh, discontinued cookie crisp mascot. Thank wow. Who did nothing but steal cookie crisp. Now here's the thing. He's sneaky, which you need for the ninja archetype, but he's also willing to cut a bitch. He really which is. Which you also definitely need for a ninja archetype. He's into blades. He's been inside. He's going to have step ladder. He's, he's going to bleed you slow. Uh, he's the, he's the creepy guy in Predator, like shaving all the time. Lives or Billy. The yeah. Like, yeah, that, yeah. He's Cookie Crisp is from the streets and that's what you need. Snake draft. You get to go next. I'm going to pick my sniper next. Okay. Um, it's going to be Lucky the Leprechaun. Ooh. From Lucky Charms. Really? Now look, they're trying to steal his Lucky Charms. Those goddamn kids, but Lucky. Being a creature of the forest, Camping a fae, out. if you will, he's either on a rainbow or he's on a tree. And it 
you know, it's only a matter of time for Lucky realizes that he needs range. He's got the elevated, but he oh, has the shit. high ground. And years of just doming those children trying to steal his Lucky Charms is going to make him a practiced killer. So Lucky, you know, also another thing you need for a crack commando team, if movies have taught me anything, wildly diverse ethnicities. So True. He, yeah. Lucky's your Irish guy. True. Yeah. Yeah, true. Where does vampire fit on wild diversity? Just, just well, it's that. in there. Transylvania. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jeez, Transylvania is yeah. a yeah. country. <laughs> right. So here's my thought, right? For yeah. your, your sniper, you want someone who's comfortable looking down a scope? Who better than motherfucking Cap'n Crunch? He's looking down that pirate telescope all day, <laughs> standing on the bow or the stern. I don't know, boats, just looking out over the ocean. Being like, there's land in 50 meters or whatever. So you're really just hooking a gun to his scope. That's exactly right. Yeah. You're using his material. He's like, oh, I got this. Uh, there's there's going to be some like uh, weird um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Signs moment where he's like, oh, I've been leaving water around this place the whole time just because it kills aliens. And then he's just going to put a gun on his scope and dome bitches. So anyways, uh, I'll go next. I'm going to go team lead next. Uh Look, team lead, you don't necessarily need the most tactically skilled person. You need a strategic thinker who is good at motivating the people around them. So for my team lead, I've chosen Tony the Tiger because when the times get tough, people need to know they're great. Uh, Your turn. All right. Well, you already sold my spy. Oh, Tony the Tiger was your spy? No. Captain Crunch? Chocula was my spy. Oh, shit. Because he's a fucking vampire. He can mesmerize people. Mm. That would have been fucking great. Yep. You don't need a face man when he can hypnotize you with a glance. Would have been great. That's fucking great. I was going to go Tony the Tiger otherwise. <laughs> Took now, him too. But now I'm going to have to think about it. Two off the board. Uh, I'm going to go with my team lead now because you didn't take him. It's the Quaker from Quaker Oats. You know who's there not to fuck around? What? You know who's there not to fuck around? The Quaker. That's Nothing. Minimalist. He's there for fucking business. He's there to kill. The Quaker, work ethic. the Quaker wants Nazi scalps and nothing else. Like, he is the key to your commando team. He's the person that gets this ragtag crew together. The Quaker ain't gonna fuck around with this shit. He's the person who can take these disparate personalities and blend them into a cohesive killing unit. The Quaker's the man for hey, Ron Swanson. Like, I, I, I the Quaker is more of a spy because he's so unassuming. He just passes a civilian. Oh, that's sneaky. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. what if it's you're trying to infiltrate the gala? The Quaker doesn't belong there. <laughs> that's true. The Quaker's the man with the plan. Goddamn, he's slow play. He's long conning all of you. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next one is going to be for the explosive guy, which is the literal son from Raisin Bran. Oh, he's pick. made of exploding gas. He is a ex- a constantly exploding <laughs> astrological figure. You can't have a better explosive guy. He could just melt stuff by being near it. Yeah. People are like, what are you going to use for that one? And it was like, well, just me. Also from the wildly disparate nationality of space. So, yeah, you can't have a more ragtag crew. Uh, my explosive guy, uh, very specific here. It was Pop of Snap, Crackle, and Pop. <laughs> Snap and Crackle are excluded from this group. Um, Pop was very important because his name is Pop, and I, I Wikipedia'd this um, because I wanted to figure out what their distinct personalities were like, and apparently Pop is the youngest and the wiry of the bunch. So I thought, he's the most likely just to get fucking involved in explosives because it seems interesting and fun. Last pick, it's my spy, because I already stole your spy, Count <laughs> Chocula. Don't forget that when you go to vote, people. 
Uh, I actually liked Ross's idea here. You I want just, a dice roll. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I chose Mikey from Life Serial. Uh, just the little kid, because it's like, who's going to be like... Oh, yeah, I'm Yeah, because he's yeah. just a fucking little kid walking yeah. around. People are going to be like, oh, it's a little kid. And then he's he super agreeable it. because he likes it. Yeah. That people will be like, nah, it seems cool. Mikey likes it. And <laughs> next thing you know, bam, Count Chocula biting your ass. <laughs> Captain Crunch rolling up They're in They're a here. tag team. That's yeah. right. That's exactly Zero. right. It's a ragtag team <laughs> of fucking commandos. Hashtag Team Caleb or hashtag Team Spencer. I think we all know where this wait, is wait, going. Wait, I haven't done my last pick. You know why? Because I made a better one? No. You don't... Okay, my spy is now Frankenberry. How is that a spy? Because he's literally made of the flesh of other men. You just make him out of different flesh. Kill your enemy... Assume his identity. Mm-hmm. Frankenberry will be his body. He's not a shapeshifter. I want he, to be clear. What? You, he's, he's a Frankenstein. His face the, is fucking stitched together out of yeah. other perdumeral serial cadavers. King not, Vitamins in there. You just give him the face of another man. Yeah. He's inscrutable. That is not low-key shit. He when is the pretender. Walks, hey, why is your face sewed in half? That is not some like flying <laughs> under the radar business. Yeah, luck, uh, uh, lucky don't or kill somebody, and then uh, Frankenberry cuts his face off. I think you've all Look, missed the point of Frankenberry. Here's the best part about these commando teams, though. <laughs> Frankenberry is my spy. Deep rivalry with your Count Chocolate. Yeah. 100%. You betrayed us. I just, betrayed the team. I need to revisit this. Literary fiends, the two of you are. The premise of Frankenstein isn't that there was this one guy in the pack that no one recognized was a monster. Look, look and he just showed up and was the like, The premise Ugh. of Frankenstein was you animate a very intelligent, ext- he learned English in a matter of weeks from overhearing people while hiding in a crawl space. Smart AF. You animate this smart AF brain in a body that is literally just made of parts. Parts that are presumably replaceable. Just give him a different face, and he's whoever you need him to be. This seems to ignore the the text original canon. On that note, I consider it untenable. <laughs> Hashtag Team Spencer, and we're on to the next one. Frankenberry was a great pick. No, I haven't forgotten about it. What are you drinking? <sighs> Tired. Frankenberry was a great pick. Wired. I'm drinking a Maharaja IPA by Avery Brewing Company. Um, this is an Imperial IPA. I'm just gonna I'm gonna shoot straight. I don't expect to enjoy what I'm about to do. It's a 10% India Pale Ale. <laughs> I'm just going to do this because this is what the we do. The best part about here. indie pale ales when they go all in the hops is yeah. when they also try and burn your tongue out with right. alcohol. <laughs> I reuse an alcohol. Is drinking it. Yep. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, God. I think, if, well, I think if you like IPAs, it's probably a good beer. That's a two. <laughs> yeah. That's a diggler for me. Not even a, not a one, though. No. No. Well, no. Oh, there's a little sweetness. I mean, you're looking IPAs like- have gotten worse so together as like a unified front. Yeah, that's that, like, interesting. They can't drop down to a one. Like they've become all the standard together in yeah. this single unit of bitterness and awfulness. Really bad. That like, yeah, you can't drop below a two because like your expectation when I see IPA now is like, well, it's gonna be bitter as fuck. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, see at all like painful. Yeah. Um, anyways, we're into professional drinking, and this is an interesting one, because we, we struggle with this on the reg. As people who drink semi-professionally, that's not a thing, but mm-hmm. we've certainly treated it like it is. 
Um, the struggles of alcohol protectionism. Caleb, explain. So I was doing laundry the other day, um, and I was in my laundry room mm-hmm. where I typically do laundry. Mm-hmm. This is a great story so far. This is why you pay extra for this ep- episode. Uh, so uh, anyway, I was there, and I was like, this is boring as fuck. I'm stressed about other things. I could really use a beer right now. I might go out and get a beer. At which point, Sarah was also in the kitchen next to our laundry room, and she looks at me and just goes, with her hand, I I know I can't express the obviousness of this physical gesture, but she sort of like points at me and then points up. And then I look, and my laundry room is also where I store all of the beer for the Mix 6, and there's literally two shelves of just nothing but beer, just a staggering amount of beer. To be clear, that's not counting the beer in the fridge right. that I was preparing for the next episode. Right. Um, at, at which point she just like sort of points bafflingly, like, drink some of that beer. I was like, no, I can't, I can't drink that beer. Nope, nope. <laughs> that beer? No, that beer is for the podcast. I need drinking beer. And I realized how insane that sounded as soon as it came out of my mouth. But this is not an uncommon thing. No. We all have the, like the bottle of liquor you're saving for a special op- occasion, or the bottle of wine you won't open until mm-hmm. the apocalypse or something. Like, yeah, th- this seems like a common thing. I am sitting on two bottles of Goose Goose Island's Bourbon County Stout, which I woke up extra mm. early for, drove to a liquor store for, and waited in a line for in Kansas City over Thanksgiving um, because they're hard to get, um, and I. Did not open either of them over Thanksgiving holiday with my family because I wanted one to drink for fun and one to drink on the podcast. And I wanted to make sure that it still existed there. Yeah. Um, And Brandy and I had a lengthy debate about it in the car, whether or not I would bring them with me um, because I wanted to save them for these very specific things. And in particular, most of the time, save for the podcast. I'm I'm sitting on a Dogfish Heads 120-minute IPA that Adam Boland brought me, which is a beer that I've already tried. But it was last year's, and so I'd like to try this year's because it's a special beer and they're hard to get, blah, 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 blah. Um, It's a very real thing. And part of this is the problem of, like, monetizing your habits. Um, and I think that's probably true beyond drinking. Right. Yeah. Well, here's the I, thing. I thought, I thought about it for the podcast, but at the same time, I'm just like, this is not just a podcast thing. Like, I did this before I had a podcast. Sure. I was yeah. like, oh, that's special. Right. Got to save that yeah. for a thing. And, like, that seems like an odd thing. It's just something I wanted to discuss. Yeah, I don't know. I Producer mean, Ross? Uh, yeah. I've, I mean, we leave a lot of uh, bottles of whiskey and bourbon here for the uh, right. hot takes on ice. Yeah. And, like, I was looking at all of them the other day, and I'm like, well, I don't want to drink this by myself, so I went out and got a $15 bottle of Jim Bean, so right. I something to actually drink. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Drinking whiskey. Yeah, right. Drinking no. whiskey. Not looking at whiskey. I have, like, there's Talisker, there's Talamort, there's there's all this great stuff yes. in my thing, and yeah. I'm like, no, I'll just I'll just drink the Jim Bean. No, it's Bean. totally true. Last week, last week <laughs> yeah. I told Brandy, I was like, I'm going to run out and get some beer, and she was like, there's a whole shelf of beer in the fridge. And I was like, well, yeah, but that's for Scrushy Tritz Nuts, which is a celebration. <clears throat> that's for the podcast, and that's for the uh, the college football playoffs. Like, I can't, I can't go drinking that shit. I've saved it for specific days. Um, here's the th- I don't know I, I think it seems weird because we're calling it into question and shining a light on it I mean when you hang a lantern on the fact that you've you've purchased these things and now you're not using them for specific things it is kind of weird but I also think that's that's the nature of hobbies right I mean they exist in, I, in places and times consumable things that are also collectible I think it's a good thing like yeah I think it's legitimately a good thing to have occasions like yes because like you know, if you looked at like any objective measure, like my my bank account, for instance, or the amount of beer I have in my house, 
I look like a raging alcoholic, mm-hmm. just like like a person who can't function. But it's far from the case, like far from the case. Yeah. Like I can literally quantify the number of beers I drink per week down to the exact number. Mm-hmm. It's three because mm-hmm. we do that in this podcast. Yeah. And like the number is, is like, and the thing is, is like, because I'm saying that's why, how do I know I'm not an alcoholic? It's because I have 400 beers in my house and I don't drink them. Like right. I'm like fucking Sam Malone from Cheers. Like I, I think there might be something to like schedule penciling in your alcohol. I like, like it. I, I kind of like it as a take. Visualize it. Yeah. Right. I feel. I honestly, I think I feel better physically because I do that, and then I also protect my space around that thing. And so, like, um, if I know we're gonna do, like, I've you know, I've got these milfs, for example, which I'm saving for a special occasion. If I know that occasion is coming up, I'm not going to drink to excess. I may not even drink the day before so that I can enjoy without the risk of hangover the the occasion that I've planned for. Yeah. I and mean, I think it creates some, uh, yeah, some cushion, some mm-hmm. specialness to all of this. And it's also your. I think it also this protectionism sort of like you you are still on the hedonic treadmill. Yeah. And so like you've drank this one thing for this certain occasion, you regard this other occasion as greater than that by some metric. Right. And so you sort of up your taste game. Like I know my level of alcohol like what I find to be like I'll still drink a push bush light and I'll be thrilled when they have it on tap. Amen. But um like I, my level of alcohol consumption in terms of like what I consider fancy or classy has completely changed as a result of 400 plus oh, beers. Yeah, 100%. Um and I I do think that sort of protectionism can sort of up your game. Like I thought scotch was like well, it's a thing you blow money on until Baz brought us 25 year McCallum McCallum yeah. and then I'm like Oh no, it's worth that much money. That's why I would And like it, it sort of expands your horizons. And I, I think there's a lot of good in it. I uh, agree. It's ridiculous because right. it leads you not drinking beer when you have 400 beers literally hanging above your head. Right. But it is, uh, I, I think it's something to engender, like uh, to, yeah. to manifest. I'm for it. I support it. Uh, and on that note, we're going to grab one more beer, which is specifically designated for drinking on this occasion. <laughs> and we'll be right back with Drunken. Caleb, in this, our last segment, what are you drinking? I am going to drink the Blue Point Brewing Company's uh, Citrus Plunge, a India Pale Ale brewed with orange and honey. Mm. Mmm. Wait, honey? Honey is not... I'm going to be clear. Coriander used to be it for me, but I've seen a ton of beers use coriander really well as a flavor. Honey? Not seen it as more of a, a mead thing. Not used. Not seen it as a plus. No, uh, I agree. Of recently, it, it feels like we've come across quite a few of these in recent months, and it's never gone well. But well, let's let's see how it works. Uh, orange needs some citrus in an IPA, as far as I'm concerned. Sure, I like the can. It's got like an old timey diver on it. Uh, I don't like the diving. writing all that much. It looks like a Houdini poster a little bit. <laughs> What's wrong with Houdini posters? Nothing, but it just looks it looks a little tacky. Okay, well, derivative. I mean, whoa. Let me clear. I don't taste any of the honey. That's good news. That is a very good IPA. Really? That's a four. Damn. Wow, that's, that's a, a grandfather. grandfather. You want to try some of that? That's pretty good. You no, your... I'm good for today. It's good. Well, I'll yeah. try it. I'll try it. Um, no Alibaba's on the day, though. That's a big bummer. Which means we found no magic. hey Well, we didn't have the thing that made us find more magic. That's that, true. That's literally the Alibaba. So right. Yeah. You yeah. need it to do it. So. It's no, fitting. No it's a catch-22. No. Oh, God. Hey, we're in a drunk enough. Caleb, you proposed this one. What are we talking about? We are going to talk about whether you should write with pencils or pens. Love it. Love it. Because I'm drunk enough to have Depends this Depends on fight. what you're writing. 
Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm drunk yep. enough to have this fucking fight with you, and I know it's going to be a knockdown drag out, but I had to wait till I had a few in me to you're get just, ready oh, for wow. it. He's crack a, the neck. You're, yeah, so wrong. The you're so wrong about this. Is the you, you need, do you need corner guys? Do we need to call in some corner guys to like, no, rub your shoulders? This is a street fight. Eyes? I'm, oh, okay. I'm gonna shoot you straight. This is, this is a fucking alley scene from They Live. <laughs> I Put under, on the fucking glasses. I don't glasses. need dumpsters. Like I don't like my dumpster is made of plastic. It's not very strong. It'll be fine. <laughs> my apologies to your dumpster in advance. <laughs> uh, I'm a pin. I'm a pin man. I'm gonna shoot you straight. I'm a pin man. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, I there are pencils in my house. I'm not totally clear how they got there or why they got there, but they're I brought there. Brought them. Probably that that makes sense. Um, I haven't used a pencil by choice uh, that you didn't otherwise suggest I use for reasons in what is it? I'm 32, so 14 years probably <laughs> since since I left another person's household is what I'm saying, or, or the confines of secondary education which required me to use them on certain instances. Um, I don't like pencils. I don't. I certainly understand why one would use a pencil, and I don't. Uh, <laughs> I I am a Pilot G2.05 human for life, Disgusting. and it is not close for me. Disgusting. I, I, here's the thing. I get it. You want to write, and then you want to change things, so you erase, and then you change things. Which is the fundamental essence of writing. Right. The nature of the pencil is such that... That's no different than write something, oops, I got it wrong, cross it out, and write it again. Yes, it is. No. It's it's different in a demonstrable, measurable amount of paper, which cannot be recovered to convey information. But, yeah. but The I only think- information that piece of paper conveys is that I fucked up, which is not something I deeply want to convey in most things that I write. But it conveys <laughs> I fucked up by way of showing the work, which has been undone. But here's my bit. The eraser is never a clean erase. You know that an erase has occurred, which means I fucked up is still designated yeah, on the page. Right so the information that your pen is conveying right. can also be conveyed by an eraser, right. but more efficiently using less paper. I'm not sure that it's more efficient. Now, if your question <laughs> is property usage, very literally lines or space on the page. Ah, okay, but I'm not sure that that's the currency of good writing, and I don't think that you'd mark yourself uh, as being a good writer by having used less pages, guy who wrote a 500-page book. Hey, I'm not saying that. The currency of good writing is showing the revision of said writing. And as a man who took five years to write said book, I will say that that is what comes off in the cages by Red Markets, available today in many fine stores. Uh, But what I will say is that the pencil inherently conveys the willingness to revise and the planning as revision as an essential activity of writing. I disagree. Far more than the pen. I disagree. The if if the goal here is to show the impetus for revision, then what shows revision more than the actual act of seeing places where people have crossed out and rewritten as the point of revision than the pen? I think you're totally wrong about this. You, only earlier you argued that the point of the pencil was that it undid the thing which ought be revised and in its place put the new work. The pen shows the act of revision by way of crossing out but leaving the original mark. Which and is your argument was that the pencil shows the same revision by the pencil's eraser never being absolute. Sure, but if you agree to that, then you agree that in that case, it's probably best just to use the pen because the pen is a clearer example of... (laughs) I I clearly don't. The other thing I like about the pen, if I'm being totally honest, is that it shows a mark of confidence. 
I'm going to write here. Or arrogance. Sure, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But what is a good writer, if not a little arrogant no, in the their opposite. writing? Oh, God. No, 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 no. No, no. absolutely not. Have you read Infinite Jest? <laughs> oh, Jeff so you're Ross? taking the John Gardner's fake. Like, to be an artist is to inherently be an egoist and that, that sort of take. Yeah, a little. Okay. Uh, I don't think that's unreasonable. I mean, I think there's something to that. Um, one must have a little gall to be an artist in the first place. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the bit. And so I think that the pen shows a sense of finitude around what you're planning to write. And then the willingness to cross it out and leave the crossed out mark on the page also shows vulnerability that I can show you that I've messed up. And yet we don't read the handwritten word. And Gardner's argument that to be a writer is inherently to be an egoist is essentially about the narcissism of writing, the feeling that the self is deserving of consideration by others than the self. And as such, revising that depiction of the self to the greatest number of people and inherently reminding yourself that to revise it is your essential task no. as a writer no. is the superior tool no, for writing. I disagree. Some of some of history's most interesting texts are not the texts, but rather the, the, they're the texts plus marginalia or the text plus revision. I think that we are... Said from the man who on this podcast has said the book needs to be clean, virgin, austere, oh, yeah. and never touched by other oh, hands. Yeah. I, can't, I can't read that shit. But I, I am not the arbiter of what we deem culturally significant. Some of the things we find most fascinating aren't Hemingway, but they're Hemingway editing Hemingway. They aren't Reagan, but they're Peggy Noonan editing Reagan. I mean, I, I, we, we are fascinated by the changes that happen within the text. And the pencil obfuscates those changes. It, it erases them from the page. It doesn't. You've literally said that. The pen, though, <laughs> clearly indicates what was once there and has since been removed and replaced. Whereas the pencil shows the marks of erasure, it does not show the thing which was erased. And I think that's important because the Well, pen... doesn't that depend on the amount of scritches you put on the pen? Sure, but, but uh, at that point then, all you're doing is indicating a willingness. No one, no one totally scratches out. This isn't a Sharpie marker we're talking about here. No one totally. No. People do. Okay. Well, they shouldn't. Um, <laughs> but but by the same token, you would assume then that people would only half erase, leaving the originally written word on the page. And at which point, you've really not erased at all. You've just written over. And that that's capable with both pen and pencil. So I think that argument equally applies to both sides of this. Having said that, I think the pen shows a mark of strength and a mark of vulnerability that pencil cannot quite convey. Um, and I think that it creates distinction in what was and now is, and those are the things we're interested in. Why changes were made. It begs the question, which is what we want of good writing. Nonsense. I think I won this. No, you did not. It's a mark of classism. <laughs> I, oh, my I, God. I think that's a little that, much. That's how... No, okay. You yeah. think that's a little Caleb. How long did that take? <laughs> Ross, run that back. How long has this segment been? Like six minutes? Uh, I think like you're confusing confidence for classism. No, yeah. I'm not. No, I'm absolutely You've not. You've literally fucking make and modeled a pin at me in this segment. Well, yeah. You've said, oh, yeah, well, if you're using a pin, you're only using a real pin if you're using a G2. Blah, 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 like, and you start, start with fucking me. specifications me like it's a fucking Bugatti. Don't start. It's, You've got a preferred The pencil. clarity of your ideas, the clarity of your writing should be what is the mark of your elitism because it is a privileged arena of thought. I mean, it should not matter how that is conveyed insofar as the tool enables you to convey it, of which the pencil is obviously the superior tool because it features more utility. You, the, okay, no. Your <laughs> argument here is that the, 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 
clarity of thought is expressed best in the pencil because... But you're arguing that the pen is some glorious, like, beautiful act of confidence in and of itself, yeah. which is not an act of thought. It's not an act of argument or it's, rhetoric. It's an it act is, of that thinking That ink is confident. darker and not graphite. That is nonsense. Absolutely not. The, the willingness... That is the fetishization of an object as a substitute for a thought totally disagree you have a preferred <laughs> method or line of pencil that you would like to use so distinction in type of tool genre is not a mark of classism it is a mark of preference uh so your ticonderoga number two is no different i don't have than my, a pencil preference you absolutely do i've seen you use the same type of pencils for 10 years you absolutely have a, a preferred pencil preference you certainly have a preferred journal preference uh, I do. Which is the Muji. So yes. don't, don't get on me about bougie writing affectation. Okay, sir. <laughs> um, I think that the clarity of thought, uh, which you so espouse and is the mark of the pencil, is a complete misreading of clarity of thought. Clarity of thought is I know what I'm going to say and I know I'm going to say it clearly. Therefore, I will use a tool which will not allow me to change said clarity. I don't need to redact things because oh I know what I'm going God. to say. The first draft is the perfect draft. That's exactly right. All right, Ginsburg. Jesus. It, it, I mean, pencils also fade over time a lot of the time. So, like, Ayo. So, you know, yeah. If you're really that clear. So, I think that my words should be preserved forever. That's why I I'm use like chiseling stone. Years, like, yeah. Yeah, that is literally the purpose of this. If, if Pencil does not fade over five years. I mean, it can, depending on how it's kept. That's exactly right. Is it kept in <laughs> the light yeah. who knows yeah or in a high moisture environment high moisture Nonsense. environment yeah. well for those of us who don't hold our documents in the same place <laughs> where we grow our fucking fungus uh pencil has decidedly longer of a longevity than five years I but mean, it just depends on nonetheless not as long not as i don't long often as finish a journal and then chuck it under the house <laughs> <laughs> into the crawl space that's, that's your mistake <laughs> that's exclusively where my journals are when this all goes south just look under the house it is a bevy of writing okay <laughs> Um, anyways, looking forward to your thoughts on this and why I'm right. Feel free to tweet us, hashtag pencil or hashtag pen, at the mix 6 or you can post your thoughts on Facebook. Hey, if you've been listening to this, it means the world to us. And if you like the mix 6 but you're not currently a patron, make sure to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the mix 6 You can also just search for us on the Patreon page where we've got a ton of additional episodes, including full-length episodes where we do this for even longer, and some mini episodes where we debate topical issues of the day, and we also debate important cultural issues via Facebook. Um, hey, also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at The Mix 6. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com. We've got a page and a group. You can also send us things in the mail if you are so inclined to use that antiquated system. The Mixed 6, 2131 West Republic Road, number 101, Springfield, Missouri, 65807. Once again, thanks so much for your time, your energy, your effort, and your resources. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. I'm Spencer. Pencils forever. I concede nothing. And this is The Mix 6 Podcast. We'll see you next time.